and he ended up being like the cool fifth grader in the back. And I was cracking up because we're like, you're doing it. And he's like, dad, I'm like way too cool. Like, you know, too cool for school. Got a new haircut, you know, looking for girls. You know, he's just totally that kid now. But I'm really happy he did it. It's, um, it's an awesome tradition here at the church. And um, just even to see some of the kiddos who've grown up in the church and some of them over here like Hudson. Uh, I've seen it. So many of them. Finn, my son. It's a, it's a good feeling. So um, grandparents, parents, uh, friends, thank you for coming. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to Soundhouse Church. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. And um, let's pray before we get started into the service. You guys wouldn't mind joining me. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for sending your son. The whole reason we celebrate today, the whole reason we celebrate this season is the anticipation, the excitement that those way back in the very first Christmas, God, the very first moment where Christ arrived, were waiting for something, something that they had no idea what was coming. And God, your plan was beautiful. And God, that you say in John 3.16 that you so loved this world that you sent your son. And God, today is the season as we approach it. We have a lot of things that we can think about. God, help us remember the significance of you coming in the flesh and how much you love this world that you are willing to come and fulfill what couldn't be done and die on the cross and resurrect and give us salvation. So we love you. God, thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this series right now, and this will be our last part of the series where we've been talking about this, this big term, but it's, it's really just God in the flesh, which is the incarnation of Christ. God becomes flesh. And we titled this series, The Word Became Flesh, because that's what the Bible says. But we're, we've been talking about how Christ's coming, why it's worth really looking at. Why did, why did God do this? What, what, what can we learn from this? And just to see the care and the love that Christ had for people, that he cares about your humanity. He cares and loves, about, uh, loves you in your pain. And he cares and loves us in our struggle, but most importantly came to bring you life and freedom eternally and to set you free from the stronghold of sin in our life. And our passage has been uh, 1 John uh, 2.6. It will be up here on the screen, but I do think it's worth writing down and remembering this passage, uh, especially as we go through the holiday. Um, it says, whoever says he abides in him, Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's a, that's a big order to fill. I've been thinking about this passage for the last month. And I've been reflecting on this passage. And I've been thinking, like, to walk as Christ walked. Now, on any given week, you could maybe say you didn't walk as Christ walked this week, right? You little angels, you perfect little. <laughs> there are moments when you're on your way to the, uh, the mall to get this one thing. Do you guys still go to the mall or are we just Amazon now? I don't even know. But you go there and you're in line and you see these people and you're already frustrated and you didn't get your Cinnabon and things are getting frustrating and you see somebody just 
trying to return something and there's a dispute and you're just like, oh my gosh, Lord, please smite this person, right? Like, you're, not, you're not in a place where we're always walking like Christ the way he did, but there's hope that you can walk like Christ. You know, I want you to memorize this passage. I want you to commit yourself to it. I want you to reflect on it. But Christ doesn't leave you alone in this walk. Um, and that's really essentially what this entire message is going to be about. He will not leave you alone. He has not left you alone. I'll never forget this time, and you may have heard me tell this story, but I'll tell it from an angle that was important to me, which was when I was younger and dumb, I decided with my friend to get on a train from Chicago, go to this place called uh, Pikes Peak, Colorado, which is a 14,000-foot mountain, and I was into hiking. And I, me and my friend last minute just said, let's just go hike. Didn't check the weather. It was in April. We thought it was going to be, well, we thought, here, put this picture up. We thought when we went, it would be like these guys. See that guy in his shorts and his Tommy Bahama shirt? That's what we thought when we arrived at the base of the mountain to hike, so therefore I didn't prepare. I wore cotton. Cotton kills if you go hiking and it's cold. And we did bring a tent just in case we thought we would stay overnight, um, thankfully. My friend, who was a very good outdoorsman, like knew his way, had all the right gear, and I, I could count on him to at least trust that we were going the right way. Um, up the mountains. What happened, it more looked like this. Put this next photo up. This is what it looked like when we, and I'm not kidding you. Uh, somebody on their way back down the mountain said, this is the worst snowstorm we've had all year, and it dumped in one day. So much snow, we had to sleep at 12,000 feet. My clothes had drenched through, and we began to, I began what I believe was to start to get hypothermia because I was hallucinating on the trail midday. This isn't good. And I was struggling, and we put up camp. And my friend literally did the ecclesiastical thing, and it says, when two are together, they will keep warm. And so he had to spoon me and hold me all night long. <laughs> we didn't speak of it <laughs> afterwards. But he was with me on my walk. We woke up the next day. And yes, talked about how great our wives are. It was just like one of those things. And then uh, continued to hike. And uh, it was one of those moments where I realized, like, what would I have done without him? He, he, I trusted his direction. I needed this person in my life. When we go in this walk of life, you, you, becoming a believer, we may think it's going to be like that first photo, but sometimes the difficult times come and Christ will be with you, even when it's treacherous even when it's difficult. I remember, for me, the greatest shock becoming a Christian was that life didn't become perfect and rosy and great, and I didn't act perfect. I, did, I thought still some thoughts I shouldn't think. I had actions that I didn't want to do. Life didn't just work out for me. The sea did not part, but Jesus said that he would walk with us, that we are not alone. So when you abide in him, remain in him, you ought to walk the same way he walked, and he will be with you. We do not walk alone. Christ is with you. 
every week I've been focusing on a part of God speaking or an angel speaking to the birth story, someone in the birth story. Last week it was John the Baptist's father. This week it's to Jesus' father and uh, adopted father. And uh, he speaks to Joseph in Matthew 1, 21. He he says this, uh, she shall bear a son and you shall call him Jesus. Now, that for uh, Joseph was not his choice. It was God's choice. And for he will save his people from their sins. There's a meaning to this name, which we'll get into in a minute. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and they shall call him Emmanuel. Remember, Emmanuel. We'll talk about that in a second, which means God with us. In verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And this is a, a powerful moment in Scripture because Joseph knows that he could divorce Mary. He could leave her. But he chooses to trust and have uh, care for Mary and continues to be with Mary. And he's assured by God's word that something powerful is happening. And God says, you'll call him Jesus, and Joseph calls him Jesus. Now, if you back up to the beginning of the chapter, the part that everybody will skip when you read this book of Matthew is the genealogy. Now, the genealogy is not there for just filler right? It's not a bunch of words. The genealogy is very important, and why I'm going to back up to here really quick for this one in particular is because when you look at it, it begins with Abraham, and it has these generations, 14 and 14 and 14, and three sections, and why it's important is because there is a, a, the linkage is back to Abraham, who was a Gentile first, so we should note that, and God led him and made covenant with him And then he became a people of Israel. And so Abraham, this first covenant, and it has the genealogy go through, and then it goes to David in this covenant. And then it goes into further into Babylon and and, and Israel's destruction of this kingdom that's been destroyed. And then to Jesus. And why I think it's very important is because as you read through the list of the genealogy, you will find some very strange names in that genealogy. And it might have been quite controversial in the day. You will see a list in that genealogy of four people who are Gentiles in the genealogy listed with Jesus. They are not a people of Israel. They are Gentiles. You will see people who who fell far short. And you will see an entire people group who broke covenant over and over and over throughout it. They are covenant breakers. They are a broken people. They are outsiders in this genealogy. But God still keeps his covenant. And so this is why I think partially the genealogy is important. And it's at least worth noting out of it. Is that God keeps his covenant even though it's been a very rough road. He has not changed. He will not change. And he does not change. And why Christmas is so important. It was the, de- it was the delivery of his covenant to the world. Through Christ. Jesus, it was a common name. We don't hear Jesus very much in history post-resurrection. Probably to continue to 
protect the name more. But Jesus is the name referenced in Corinthians. Paul references someone named Jesus, not the Jesus. And so it was a common name. And, but the name you should know definitely came from the name, uh, uh, wow, for a second, Joshua. And so it comes from Joshua, and it, it means something important. And it's very symbolic, this name Joshua. Now remember Joshua. And I'm only going to get into this just for a second because I think it's important. The name Joshua is the leader who post-Moses brought the people into the promised land. And I was reading a lot about this. I spent a lot of time on it. And it's interesting because symbolically most believe that it's a, a very significant meaning, meaning that Moses went as far as he could and still fell short, but yet Joshua brought the people to the promised land. There's some symbolism there if we want to look into it or read into it. And I think ultimately Christ's genealogy, it's diverse, it's broken, it's full of ups and downs, but that's like his family today. Every one of us is different. Every one of us comes from a different background. Every one of us maybe felt like an outsider. Every one of us couldn't live up to the task that God had for humanity to be righteous. And so Jesus came to fulfill that, to make you right before God. It's the greatest gift we could have ever gotten is to be right with God, to be called his, his child. And Jesus brought that for us. The day that he arrived was hope for all of us. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what Christmas is about is God needed a covenant keeper. And Jesus was a covenant keeper. And that's the beauty of the Christmas story, is that the covenant keeper showed up who could keep covenant for eternity, which allowed us to be right before God. Jesus, if you look up his name, it means God's help meaning God's salvation. He's here. Jesus, Emmanuel means God with us. Christ means anointed one. These are all beautiful, I would say, definitions of who Christ is and who he is to each one of us. He helps us. He's with us. He's anointed to do so. And, uh, you know, when we talk about incarnation, we've been looking at how did Christ live that we can look and see how did we, how did humanity matter to Christ? What was he like when he was human? How can we then learn to walk like Christ? But one of the things we have to look at is how important his, the incarnation of Christ, the coming of Christ. We watch his actions, his teachings, his miracles, his sacrifice, the salvation that's bought through Christ's coming. But this Advent season is a big, huge reminder that like what he said to Joseph, that, that uh, Emmanuel, that God with us, he's present with them, and he's present with us now. You know, when Jesus died and, res and resurrected, he never left us, right? Jesus says, I'll be with you, and I'll be with you always. We'll read this in a minute. Christ's presence, Emmanuel, God with us, always with you. And so when you walk to try to be like Christ, you are walking and Christ is with you as well. Christmas is more definitely than the story that uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's great, but I'm saying it's more than just the Christmas story. He is the anointed one. He is God with us. He is the God that saves us. He's the God that changes us. He is here. He is now. We can look back 
in the Advent season and go, wow, that was such a special time. I wish I could have seen Jesus or been with Jesus. Or some people would say, like the rich young ruler, I would give everything up and follow Jesus. And, and I understand, like, that would be great to be around Jesus. But he says, I'm actually with you always. I will never leave you. I titled this message Emmanuel, and, I, and I, I just love these three encounters. And I picked something kind of weird, so, so just so you know, because the more I studied that verse, the more I thought about that verse in Emmanuel, the more I thought, you know, we can tend to just go, well, that was when God was with us then, but you, I can only look at then, well, what about Jesus when he resurrected? What was he like then? Did he encounter people? And what did he do when he encountered people? Resurrected. Because that same resurrected Christ is within each one of us and with each one of us. So these are three encounters of Christ's presence beyond the grave. If you walked into this Christmas season, you feel alone, you're not alone. If you feel like, God, where are you? You're not alone. God is right there and very present, God with us. Emmanuel should be your word this season. I, so let's look at this first encounter. One, God with us. God's presence remains with you all of your days. He will never leave you or forsake you. This has been repeated throughout Scripture, and then Jesus ultimately says it as well. God with you all the time. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. When you are facing the most difficult thing of your life, God is right there in present. You cannot forget that. I think sometimes I will. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I know since you all are so holy and such angels from the question before, you will not nod your head. But I will tell you, there are moments when we will back, I think, into a corner and go, where are you, God? And God's going, I am right here. I am with you in this walk. We have to remind ourselves that he has never left us. The confidence that those disciples had is the confidence we should have when we're with Jesus. The confidence that these disciples have in these, in these stories I'm going to read is the confidence we should have that Christ is with us. He will never leave you or forsake you. Matthew 28, a great passage. This is when Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's his last words to them. And it is a moment of when he is resurrected. He was incarnated. He died as this sacrifice for our sin. The covenant keeper. And now he is engaging with his disciples after the grave. And the Great Commission is, is just a, a really simple thing. It's, it's God's authority, ultimately, um, I think, to complete a specific task. Biblically, if you look it up, that's what it is. The authority of someone to complete a specific task, and he's going to give this commission to the disciples, which is our commission, too, as disciples. You know, when someone gives you authority, it doesn't just mean like, oh, um, go ahead and maybe it's a good idea that you don't or do. When God, Jesus gives his disciples, I give you authority to go and preach the gospel. All authority has been given to me and I give it to you. He's saying, you have authority, now do something with it. And so he's having this conversation. And, and, and the most important thing I want to read is at the very end of this part. I'll never forget the time that my senior pastor of my first big youth job, of which it was a massive church, and they had a big youth program, and he said, do whatever you need to do to make our Saturday night services grow. 
And I was like, whatever. And he goes, yeah, buy the kids pizza. And I was like, uh, that's not going to work. Whatever. And he goes, whatever it takes. Just tell everybody, maintenance staff, everybody that you do whatever it takes. And so what I did is on my pastor's authority, I went and filled our entire youth room with beach sand. <laughs> and had a huge beach party and turned the heat up to 90 degrees. In the middle of winter, we played volleyball and had a massive youth party and had lots of kids there and preached the gospel. And it was an amazing service until afterwards when I told the maintenance guys, now the pastor told me I could do whatever I wanted. And so now we have to clean this all up. And we're going to do something like this next week. And then <laughs> I didn't realize that that authority was uh, so powerful. You know, when we, Jesus says, I've given you authority, we should do something with it. You should. He's, he's with us. You should do something with it. He gives them a task, but he promises them his presence. And this is why when you walk out with this task Christ has given you to share the gospel, the good news, do something with it. He's with you. And his promise is his presence. Verse 16, Matthew 28. And the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain of which Jesus had directed them. In verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Behold. Meaning, See this. See it. I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going, but I'm here always. That's our promise. So when God has placed someone on your heart, when God has placed you out into the world, all of us, he is saying, I have a specific task. I want you, and you go in authority, but know that I'm with you. I will not leave you. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Emmanuel, God is with us. The second part we see, and we can take this a little bit from Jesus' name itself, is God helps us. He is with you. He helps you. And I know we think, oh God, you're so busy. You've you got so much going on. Uh, if I could just get my prayer on a list, and maybe you could go over it. Or some people have said to me, my prayer, it's a small prayer. I know there's people who have bigger things, but I don't know. Could you just pray for me over this one thing? God hears you. He's with you. He's present. And he helps you. He doesn't just help you in salvation. He helps you physically and emotionally in your peril. Remember when before you were a Christian, you were in spiritual peril. I don't know if you've ever been in emotional peril or physical peril, but God says he's with you in that. Jesus helps you. His very name means that. God with you. He, he'll help you. Uh, John 21, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. In verse 15, remember Peter, he, he, his encounter uh, at, this, at this time is he's, probably in a low place when he's going to encounter the resurrected Jesus. He has denied Jesus. He was his most faithful follower, you know, the one who spoke the biggest, but almost seems to have ran the fastest. And he was the leader, in a way, 
of these disciples. And I think Jesus really counted on him. And so in the moment when he ran or he denied, it was probably just a devastating moment for everyone, especially Peter. Now he's with his disciples and they're somewhat on the run. And they're just returning back to regular life. And he's probably wondering what has happened. And I'm sure the disciples want to know what he did. But Jesus, even in the moment of his resurrection, and there's so many other things he's doing, he takes a moment to deal with Peter's, I think, emotional peril. In verse 21, it says, Then after they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Uh... Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, just know this. Jesus is not insecure. He's not like uh, your uh, ex-boyfriend or girlfriend is like, do you love me? Do you love me? Like, he's not doing that, right? He's not worried about others versus him. He is working on something in Peter, and God will help when we allow him to do it. And it says this, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I, I don't know. I wonder what Jesus is thinking at the time where he's like, well, I don't know. You said these three things. <laughs> but he says, you know that I love you. He, we have to know that Jesus is not worried about this. He's concerned about Peter. And he said to him, feed my lambs then, right? Get to work. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep, get to work. You've got work to do. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then by this time, Peter is grieved. Because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I love this story. I think that not only did Jesus come and he's with you and he's present with you, he is here on things like this with Peter. I think Jesus is building Peter up and not tearing him down. He is renewing him. He's not shaming him. When I first read this a long time ago, when I was a first Christian, I was like, geez, Jesus, you're really rubbing his face in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a little heavy-handed. Oh, my gosh. But he's building Peter up. He's calling Peter to something better. He is healing Peter in this moment. I believe he's healing him emotionally as well. But God is here to help. That's literally what Jesus' name is. He is God who helps, God who saves. You know, uh, when I think about Jesus doing this, I think that he is doing something that's extraordinary. And when you are in these places, the last thing I think that Peter, the worst thing Peter could have done is went and hid and carried that shame, carried that guilt. And to any Christian in here, the very last thing you should do is run. The very first thing you should do is run to Jesus, not away from Jesus. And he will say, do you love me? And he'll give you the opportunity to respond. And he's going to ask you to do something. I, I've, never, I've never really had a moment where I came to God in repentance and he wasn't like, uh, you're forgiven. 
Now, I've repented. Now turn and go the other way. Every person who Jesus either healed or, or, or forgave with sin, what did he say? Now go and do the opposite of that. Go and sin no more. Go a different direction. So when you come to him, he wants to heal you. He's here to help you. Peter needed help and Jesus helped him. The very last thing is this, and it's, uh, it's, it has nothing really... I can't bring it out of one of Jesus' names, but I will say he has the power to do this, and that's to transform us. The transformative power of Jesus is incredible. The transformative work of Christ in your life is unbelievable. How many of you, and I, and I have to ask for a raising of hands, how many of you, if I met you before you were a Christian, you would think I would be shocked? Raise your hand. Okay, why I, I'm so glad I see that is because I would raise my hand. I would meet people after I was a Christian and before, and they're like, what has happened to you? <laughs> and, and sometimes when I tell people my testimony, they're like, ah, really? I don't know. That seems crazy. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I wish you knew me before. His transformation power is incredible. How many areas of your life, think about it, that you brought it to Christ for help, or you God was working in this area of your life, and it's transformed. Your life is better. Your family is better. Your relationships are better. Your, your optimism about life, your hope, everything has changed. Your purpose has changed. That's what Christ does in our life. And if you think it only happened to the people then, here we are. It's happening to people post the grave. And so... One of my other favorite stories is this one here in Acts. And I do believe that he will completely transform your life for him, in him. Your life, when Christ comes into your life, isn't to transform your life so you can be happy. I just got to say it straight up. It's not so you're just like, oh, I just oh, I feel great. It's not what it's about. It's definitely not... Uh, uh, becoming a believer is not about um, just so you can have an outlook on life that's just different than others. It's not about that. Your life being transformed is a continual testimony that we are to give to God, to glorify God, because it couldn't have happened without Him. It's a miracle. And it is meant to be shared. And so that's why He's transforming us. Now the byproduct of that is the fruit of the transformation. That's a beautiful byproduct. Think about the things in your life that God has transformed and the fruit that grew. And you're like, whoa, that's crazy. That grew. But the reason you're transforming is to bring glory to God for his miraculous work in your life. And it's an evolving, changing, and it should be always be expressed testimony. My parents were like that. You know, when I was young, my mom and dad, before Christ, um, we had a really wild childhood. It was very, very wild. Um, I wouldn't be here, I don't know, in the capacity I am today without my parents becoming believers. I was thinking about this today. I was talking to my mom on the way into work. I wish I would have uh, asked her about this a little bit more. But I remember the stories of my parents. They were, they were going to divorce, for sure. And, you know, we weren't doing well as a family. 
And my dad had come home from Vietnam and things were not easy for him. And then he had some massive heart problems at a young age. And things were just not great in the home. And um, there, there were just ways that I think generationally my parents behaved that were very, very unhealthy and that we experienced as kids. But the transformation from my parents becoming believers, I, I just tell my mom, thank, thank you for becoming believers because I don't know what my life would look like. It, it changed my life. Like these little kiddos who are up here, parents who have stepped forward ahead of them. I'm just a kid on the other end, and maybe you have been too at one point, of a parent's life who was transformed. I know the path and trajectory of my parents and the life that was headed my way. And they changed everything for us. Because God transformed their lives. It was incredible. My dad, through all the very difficult things that he experienced in that war, it was traumatic for him. And what God did in his life over a period of time, you could see he began to change. Violence changed in his life. How he treated others changed in his life. All these things began to change. And God began to transform these parts of his life to make him the most gentle, gentle person. He will transform your life completely. And he will change them in our life. It doesn't matter who you were to God. It matters who you will be and who you are to him. That's why I love the genealogy. Genealogy, it's like everything wasn't perfect. None of Jesus' disciples were perfect. None of his followers after were perfect, and you're not perfect. But the transformation process, Christ being with you, Christ here to help you, is a beautiful thing. And he's transforming our lives every day by day. Um, You know, this part I'm going to read here is is ultimately uh, Paul and his conversion. Now, Paul, in this story, and this is Christ, post the grave, communicating with Paul. And Paul, his devotion to his religion turned him into a tyrant. He was going around and he was locking people up and, and people were being murdered for their belief in Christ. He was going to eradicate this. And his zeal for his religion gave him a, 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 a thirst to get done what needed to be done. He became a tyrant. In Acts 9, you can watch how quickly God transforms a life and how much he does. Acts 9.3, it says, Now when he went on his way to approach Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven had shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now verse 6, in the verse part, very first part of it is my favorite part. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And that rise right there, I believe, is the rise that each one of us had faced at one point when we were confronted with our depravity, our darkness or loss to God saying, but now rise, I have something new for you. Something better. Something more. Listen to this part. Ananias, who's (laughs) a really faithful, good guy. And he's been hiding from Paul. God speaks to Ananias. He's like, hey, listen. 
I've got this terrorist I'm sending your way. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the very person you're running from, and he's going to come to your door, and you're going to mentor him. I mean, this is an unbelievable story. He's concerned. He's like, but God, you don't know. This guy, I mean, he's been running around. He's, he's like, he, he, people are going to freak out. And he's like, I'm bringing him to you. Oh, uh, my brother was this way. I can understand a level of the nerve of Paul. My little brother, he was my parents' informant and growing up. And, and I remember he, one day he said, I want to hang out with you guys. And I was like, do you want to hang out with us? And I remember he would just then go and tell my parents everything. And then, uh, you know, uh, it was always a struggle of like, I, I want you to hang out because partially you're fun to make fun of with my friends. But, but the other part is like, you're the informant. You will cause pain. Ananias is in a situation that's unbelievable. You bring Saul to your house, possibly die, or trust God. And God called him to mentor Saul. He's saying, listen, I caused this man to rise. Verse 15, and here's why. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. There's no difference between, there's, there's a uniqueness to Paul's call, but the chosen instrument is no different than yours. You're a chosen instrument to reach the, the, the proximity of, your, of the people around you in your life the people who are your loved ones in your life. You are a chosen instrument to go into places where others cannot go. I can't meet your friends and then be like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. But you, you can. I can't go to your work without getting thrown out. But, but you can. I can't go to your family reunions. But, but you are there. Paul is a chosen instrument. You are a chosen instrument. And Jesus is here to transform our lives, to do his work as a chosen instrument. Now listen to this. I love this verse. Because it tells me so much about your past isn't what defines you. It's Christ that defines you. I love this verse, you know, that he transforms us and your testimony will glorify God through it. It's in 1 Corinthians, and we'll close with this, 3.16. Nevertheless, Paul's writing this, this risen, transformed, chosen instrument. Nevertheless, one who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, behold as a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This veil is removed by Christ, and he's invited you into be transformed. And, and so I think that when we say, oh, well, you know, I wish I would have been around Jesus then. You're around Jesus now. I just gave you three stories of a, of a resurrected Jesus who is no different than the Jesus who's in our lives today. So if this is not an in-the-flesh walking Jesus. This is a resurrected Jesus in our life. And he is with you, and he is for you, and he is present 
and he's transforming your life for what? His work, an instrument. If you could see yourself as an instrument, for me, frankly, you know what I mean? Maybe a guitar that everyone likes. I don't know. An instrument, a tool, a use for him to be, be a light into this world. I can't let you leave today without walking out and going, God, where can I be an instrument? And how can help me trust that you're with me more? And help transform areas of my life that can become a greater testimony to others. When someone watches something change radically in you, it weirds them out. Has anybody, by a show of hands, ever had somebody said, I, wow, you changed in this area of your life. Has anybody had this? It's shocking to people. And then you're like, well, what did you do? What, what's been going on? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I became a believer, or I think God's working in an area of my life, and people just don't even know what to think about it. You're becoming light in dark places, and they're seeing at least a glimpse of something. You're becoming an instrument. And so I'd like to encourage you this season, beyond Christmas celebration, but please be thinking, God, how can I be an instrument to be used by you to bring good news to others? And help me never forget the moment that good news showed up in my life and who I've become since. I'm thankful my parents became believers. It changed my life. It, 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 um, I can never stop thanking them for that decision. And, 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 and others will feel the same way when you bring the good news to them. Because it is good news, and we've all experienced it, so we can share it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have come into our life, and you've, you've not just been with us, promised your presence, encouraged us to walk, but God, you've promised to help us in our struggles, in our peril, in any different way. God, physically, when we struggle, we can come to you. Or when there's a, an impossible situation, God, you're there with us, and you're there to help. And God, we don't have to be perfect. We just got to keep walking. Because you're with us. Like you, like you promised the disciples. You'll be with them. Always. And so God, wherever we go, there you are. And so God, help us not lose heart. Help us not struggle in a way that we just uh, cringe and cower, God. That we boldly continue to move forward. Because we know who we belong to. And who is with us. And God, I ask for each one of us that you just continue to do your work of transformation. God, we continue to enter into the process of transformation. We become more and more and more like you, Christ, how you walked, what you did, who you were. And in that process, God, you get glory. And we further your kingdom. And we take that great commission, that authority, for a specific task and we execute that task anywhere, any way, <laughs> with anyone. So God, help us with that this season. We love you. We thank you, God, so much. Emmanuel, God, you are with us and it's a season that we celebrate the moment you showed up to this earth and never left. <laughs> and each one of us, you are with us always. We love you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you guys sing with me this last song?